Welcome to Gross Anatomy. So welcome to Gross Anatomy, everybody, where we explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture, movies, TV, books, the world around us. We added books because we've been talking to a lot of authors lately, and I'm still trying to recruit a few others. And I am Dr. Jason Cohen, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer, Lauren Taylor. And today, today we're doing something totally new. It, uh, although every day with, you know, since January has been totally new. But today we are joined by... Shivani Nazareth. Shivani Nazareth, and she's not Catholic. <laughs> I am not Catholic. Right. Where are that you? Buddhist? Muslim? Um, I was raised Hindu and Sikh. Ooh. And I married someone who was raised Catholic, but is atheist. And I practice Buddhism. Oh. Nice. <laughs> and you have some fantastic artwork on the wall behind you. I love that I, artwork. I do. Thank you. Ooh. Who is that artwork by? Um, Zena. I have to look up her last name. Now you're going to put me on the spot. Oh, oh, okay. I thought it was like some family member. Never mind. Don't no. worry about it. Don't worry about it. So let me ask you, so, so the reason we're here today is we're talking about two things. You, you, um, we're talking about genetics mm-hmm. um, yeah. and how it relates to healthcare. And then we're also talking about a new platform. So what company are you with? I work for Invite. Invite. And Invite yeah. is a big genetic company. Is that how you describe what it is? Um, how would you describe what Invite is? Invite is really looking to make... And before you tell me how to describe it, how do you spell Invite? I-N-V-I-T-A-E. T-A-E, Invite, okay. Yeah. Uh, Invite is a company that's really looking to make genetic testing accessible for the mainstream population, um, empowering physicians to be able to order and interpret genetic testing for their patients, but also empowering people who are interested in their own genes to be able to initiate an order and learn more about their health susceptibility. I feel like we spend a lot of time learning about things that, you know, can affect our health, like our diet, um, our fitness levels. But Let me back up. So, yeah. so Shivani Nazareth, um, the reason we have you specifically with us today from Invite is because you are a geneticist, correct? I am. I am a genetic counselor. A genetic counselor. And um, um, so a couple of questions. I'm sure Lauren is going to interrupt. But so (laughs) as a genetic counselor, what does that mean? You go to, how do you become a genetic counselor? What is a genetic counselor? I'm interested in that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's interesting because it's not like, it's not like you go to camp. It's not like you go to camp and you're a counselor (laughs) and you like genetics and you say, Hey, I'm going to be a genetics counselor. It's not like that. No, but I think a common sort of scenario is that people find themselves interested in genetics and then look for careers and in that field. And there's kind of two options. Um, One is to become a PhD geneticist and do lab research, um, which is an option I kind of considered coming from a family of PhDs, uh, but I didn't enjoy lab research. And genetic counseling is kind of a blend of the psychosocial aspects of 
managing disease in the family and the actual science of genetics. So it's a master's degree. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. So you have to yeah. go to college and then after that, for sure. you get a master's. <laughs> you get a master's degree. How many um, years is the master's? It's two years, typically. Okay. Yeah. And then once yeah. you finish that and master's, then, do, do you do any sort of residency or anything? Or, you have or, a board and, exam that you, okay. that you pass to be a board certified genetic counselor. And now we're working towards licensure in different states so that we can get uh, reimbursed for our services. So you're, you're licensed in multiple states? Uh, I actually am licensed in multiple states, uh, which is something be? that, well, you know, telemedicine is an interesting. So that's state. taking us into the, to, to yeah. one of the main reasons why we have you here today. So the other thing that Invite is doing is tell me you're, you're starting to talk now about um, telehealth. Yeah, so we uh, we have a team of genetic counselors like myself who are really there to help. How big is the team? You know, we have nearly 100 genetic counselors at Invitae. We employ the most genetic counselors across the country. It's a pretty um, small field. There's only okay. about 5,000 genetic counselors across the country. So, so we so have a good percentage a of them. So that's a good, so like if a kid is looking to, to, you know, what do I do after college and they're interested in mm -hmm. genetics, you never, you'll probably be, get a job. Like you don't have to worry about, hey, I want to become a genetic counselor. I'm going to be an unemployed genetic counselor. Are you saying that since there aren't a lot of them? There aren't a lot of us. And actually I sit on the board of the National Society of Genetic Counselors and we are hearing from students who are graduating that they have multiple opportunities. Oh, that's great. Uh, either in hospitals or in with insurance companies or with companies like Invitae that are really looking for people who have the combination of the people skills and the hard science. Nice. So Lauren, should we, should we start asking some of our tough questions? Well, so we no, talk we, about the telehealth. Yeah, we've been interested in genetic testing for a while. Um, Dr. Cohen personally did a 23andMe, right? Mm -hmm. And he right. tested for... Dementia? But, Is that correct? No, well, so I didn't actually want to do the 20. I didn't want to do the 23 and me. My wife um, had done it and was like, oh, you got to do it. You got to find out, you know, she, she wanted me to do it more to find out like my heritage and stuff yeah. like that. So, so I was all excited because my wife, you know, has had all interesting genetic makeup from all over the place. So I did it. I'm all excited to find out that I have some Asian blood and, and, and African blood. I was really pumped. And it comes back 100% Ashkenazi Jewish. Mm. That was it. And I'm like the most white, boring guy from the shtetl, you know, in Russia. That's me. That's all I am. <laughs> you were disappointed. <laughs> I, I was really upset. I thought, you know, I thought I was going to have something interesting, but I got nothing. I, got I felt that way when I did carrier screening, expanded carrier screening. It can do for hundreds of diseases. And I came back negative and I was like, what? I'm not but even a carrier no for one thing. Oh, you were hoping to be a carrier? That's nuts. I, I mean, well, being a carrier is normal, right? It's right. Just if two people are carriers of the same disease. So I felt right. like it sort of would give me some insight as to my uh, ancestry, but I got nothing. Right. Yeah. But the nice, the, the flip side of that, what's really good is you're, you know, we could get futuristic on this, is that you're desirable as a mate, Right? Do you think um, one day, you know, people may actually, you know, on your first blind date, you're going to be like, 
hey, da da da, let me see your genetic screening to make sure you're desirable? So two things. I, I I hope we don't go in the direction of, you know, choosing mates based on their genetic characteristics, but we kind of do in some ways anyway, right? Okay. We're looking at how tall people are. We're looking to see if we're attracted to them, um, which are all in some ways related to genetics. But um, I do sort of feel like carrier screening is something that should be included in like a wedding registry, like, or even something that people should be thinking about before they get pregnant. Um, but right now I think it sort of happens at the first OB visit most of the time. But I think like the same way women think about prenatal vitamins, they should be thinking about carrier screening. It should be something that just is, you just do it. It's just part of planning uh, for a family. Um, could I envision J date with carrier screening? Yeah, I could. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or or maybe even like the first blind date or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so one of the things, you know, when you do the 23andMe, you can check off all the boxes of what you want tested. Yeah. So I checked off. So, so there was significant dementia in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see already in me, I'm significantly demented. But um, but there was significant dementia in our family. Um, you know, I watched my grandmother, who was still fairly young, you know, basically revert to being like a child. And luckily, mm-hmm. she was happy. So, and her, and it was on her side of the family. And I, and I was concerned. So I tested, I checked off the APOE gene, right, yeah. which is a, a gene that's linked to um, dementia or Alzheimer's. And and it was such a relief knowing that I did not have that gene. And then, or at least by 23andMe, and that's a question I'm going to be asking you. And then you also check off the BRCA, the breast cancer genes, Mm -hmm. and I didn't test positive for those. So my question for you is, what does Invitae, your company, say about 23andMe? Um, Is it hooey? Is it real? Should I not trust it? Do I need to do an Invitae test to really show that I don't have those genes? So that's question number one, and I have a zillion more hard ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a really good question. I mean, I think there are a lot of options for people to go online and do genetic testing. The thing about Invitae is we do medical grade genetic testing, and we look for a lot of genes and mutations that could lead to health susceptibilities. And I think what's key also is that if a if you go on to invitae.com and initiate an order on your own, we're going to get some family history and we're going to have a physician review it. And then on the back end, included in the cost of the test is a consultation over the phone with a genetic counselor. So you have a kind of much more comprehensive medical grade experience than kind of going direct to consumer Um, I would also add that, like, you know, you said you did testing for BRCA. Do you know how many mutations you were tested for? I think just one and two. I think just one and two. So BRCA one and two. So what is BRCA? Let's, let's, what is that? Well, actually, we all have the BRCA gene. Right. We all have uh, breast cancer. Real creative. Right. Well, that's simple. Thank God. Yeah. Everything else is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, and the gene is really there to protect you from tumor growth. And if there's a mutation or a change in the gene, then you're more susceptible to certain cancers. So as a man, you could be susceptible to breast or prostate cancer. Um, 
And these genes confer a much higher risk for cancer, breast cancer and women, ovarian cancer, um, than just the average population. So knowing that information is critical to knowing how you're going to uh, approach your screening, whether you need to do it more often, whether maybe you need to consider a prophylactic mastectomy like Angelina Jolie did. Um, but, you know, when you go to a company that doesn't have medical grade testing, you don't always get the same quality of test. But, but should I at least know that the genes that I don't, that if, if the 23 me said, I don't have APOE and I don't have BRCA1 and 2, could I feel comfortable that I don't have it? I would say no. Really? Honestly, I would say no. Why? Um, I'm going to focus maybe on... My, maybe my dog spit got in there too or something? <laughs> I'm going to focus on BRCA. I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, if you think about a gene, right? Um, I kind of think of it like a cookbook. Mm -hmm. And inside there are lots of recipes. So let's say I hand you a cookbook and I say, can you scan this cookbook for any errors? I'm going to publish this. I want to make sure there are no spelling errors. Because, I mean, you're a surgeon. You have nothing better to do, right? Right. Um, then host a podcast. Right. <laughs> what 23andMe does is they only look at like three chapters in the book. Okay. Whereas uh, a company like Invite looks at the entire book, the entire gene, um, right. the vast majority of it. So if we tell you you're negative, we can say that with a lot more confidence. And so you really have to know the fine print when you're signing up for genetic testing. Right. So how many, how many BRCA genes, breast cancer genes are, are there that we've discovered so far? So for BRCA in particular, there's two, but there are, um, you know, up like hundreds of genes that are related to breast cancer risk. And so we curate a panel, um, and that's why we say we're medical grade. We really look at what genes can we test for that we know have papers behind them and actual right. scientific evidence that we can tell people their risk and we can talk to them about it. You don't just get a report. I don't think it's responsible to get, to give someone who's not a medical expert a data dump and say, here's your results. And like, you wouldn't do that in a clinical setting for any kind of test you ordered either. There are so many things I want to talk about and I'm going to be jumping around. So yeah, sure. one thing is um, we'll sometimes send I don't even know where to start. I'm just so much. So, so let me give you another difficult question or actually it's not so difficult. So what do you tell a patient who's had breast cancer multiple times at a fairly young age, different breast cancer, maybe even a third malignancy mm -hmm. and they test negative for the BRCA gene. What do you tell, what do, A, what do you tell that person? And what do you tell that person's family and children and things like yeah. that, which is one of the big reasons of, for doing this? Yeah. So let me be clear that there's more than just the, the BRCA gene, right? right? But let's just assume this woman tested negative for all of the genes. Um, then we tell her that we look at the family history. Okay. Like, and, you know, before there was genetic testing, you would kind of predict risk based on family history, kind of like you did with knowing your, your grandmother had dementia and kind of assuming you might also be at risk. So we take that familial risk into account and we assume that the level of risk is higher and we sort of treat that patient as uh, 
moderately high risk patient. And without knowing the exact genetic cause, um, it's a little bit harder to know what to tell other family members. So in some ways, if you test positive for a mutation, there's at least a clear cut path to what you should do. Right. Being in that gray zone, I think is a little harder and that's when genetic counseling can be really helpful. Wait, so, so how do you counsel family members? Do you, you know, say, say someone's had breast cancer twice, would you, would you tell a woman to go ahead at a certain age and get prophylactic mastectomies? Say mom had breast cancer in her mm-hmm. 30s and then a second breast cancer years later in the other breast in her. And this is a real story. I'm talking about my yeah. mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, yeah. everything always comes back to me, that the whole purpose of the podcast is me. And I always have to talk about my wife. So okay. my mother-in-law had breast cancer twice, maybe in her 40s and then again in her 50s or 60s in the other breast. And mm-hmm. it was two different breast cancers. And she tested negative, you know, for, for uh, I think she, uh, and we'll talk about the different companies. She, she certainly tested with a real company, not a 23andMe, and was negative. But my wife is still very nervous. And, and um, what do you do? Yeah. How, do you, how do you lay those fears? Yeah. So uh, when I worked at the Cornell Breast Center, I worked in the Department of Surgery. So we usually had a tag team approach, you know, and I think that, you know, my expertise is not in surgery. So I, it's, it's not within my scope of care to tell someone they should have surgery. But what I can do is kind of go through, you know, what do we anticipate the lifetime risk is and what are the different ways that they can prevent or delay a cancer diagnosis? So do you maybe do an MRI, a digital breast MRI, you know, where normally women wouldn't do that on a regular basis? Or do you start your mammograms earlier? Or maybe if you're done having children, you do want to consider some sort of chemo prevention or surgical prevention, but it's such an individual choice. And it really depends on the patient. So part of the counseling is kind of trying to figure out like you as a person, what's important to you? You know, some women would never consider surgery and other women are just like, oh, you know, sign me up. I'll do it tomorrow. Right. I actually started the hereditary cancer clinic at Cornell. Oh, wow. In the breast center. Yeah. So let's talk about the the BRCA genes then. If, If someone's positive. Sure. Is there a standard recommendation these days if, if uh, a woman tests positive for the BRCA gene, the breast cancer gene? There are recommendations that are sort of age-based because, mm-hmm. like, you know, we know that your lifetime risk of getting breast cancer will be, you know, close to 85% depending on the mutation. Um, but you don't have an 85% risk when you're 30 you know, kind of increases over time. So if you're 30 and single uh, and you still want to have children and maybe you want to breastfeed, you know, you kind of have to think about, well, what are all the things that are important to me at this stage in my life, right? But if you're, I don't know, 59 or 60, you're done having children and, you know, maybe you wanted a breast lift anyway. And, right. You know, like it kind of like people are in different stages of their right. life. So, right. We kind of go through, you know, surgery is one option, but there's, you know, other ways, including increased screening that you could participate. So what does increased screening mean? That, that's what I'm kind of getting to. What, it's what every six months. Every oh, six months, starting at what month, age? Starting 10 years earlier than the youngest age of diagnosis in your family. 
um, or just starting at age 25. Right. So if someone had breast cancer at, say, age... Start mammography. Oh, or starting at 25. Yeah. So starting yeah. at 25. And insurance will and cover it, that, you know, right. which is really great because you can go on a path towards prevention. And it's every six months, you said, or every year? It's usually every year, but all, some, some physicians do. They alternate breast MRI and mammography so that you're having something done every six months. Right. So that's what I do with my patients, anyone who's mm-hmm. high, who I deem high risk, whether or not they have the, gen, the gene. Yeah. Um, every year, as long as they're willing to do it, every year an MRI of the breast and every year a mammogram. Uh, yeah. And it's alternating every six months. So you're kind of seeing as a surgeon, as a doc, as a breast cancer surgeon or a breast cancer doctor, you're seeing these patients at least twice a year um, after the mammogram and MRI. Yeah. Um, there are some women where we'll recommend an ophorectomy, so removal of the ovaries because they're at risk for ovarian cancer and removing the ovaries reduces the risk of breast cancer also. So, one of the genes has a higher risk of certain cancers and one of the genes has a lower risk of some of the cancers, correct? In terms of BRCA1 and 2? Yeah, but you know, I lifetime risk. Lifetime risk, that is true. And men, don't forget men. Um, Actually, that was one of my next questions. So, so men, if they test positive for BRCA, a their children could have breast cancer and they could pass Mm -hmm. it on. But Mm -hmm. b they, I'm cutting you off. Correct me if I'm wrong. They have a risk of breast cancer, and they have a risk of prostate cancer as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think men don't tend to think of themselves as, right. you know, being at risk for breast cancer. Um, Beyonce's father recently spoke about that and he's been a huge proponent of genetic What testing. did he do? He, he's BRCA positive? He is. Yeah. He's talked about it openly and now he, did he knows. Did he discuss how he was treated? I believe he did. I believe he had the breast tissue removed, so mastectomy, and now he's getting screened for prostate cancer. And he's told his his daughters, and presumably they know they're at risk, and they will go ahead and get genetic testing. But um, I think it was really courageous of him to talk about it openly, because I just think you know men don't talk about a lot of things anyway. <laughs> but yeah. breast cancer in, in particular, I think is a tough topic. And I think, you know, I've seen a lot of fathers feel very guilty when they realize their daughter got breast cancer because of a gene that they didn't realize they had in their family. Maybe there's a lot of men with prostate cancer, not realizing that the BRCA2 gene can also confer a risk for breast cancer. Yeah. Okay. I, you you right. reminded me of a, of a, do you want to cut me off, Lauren? No, go ahead. Uh, you reminded me of a, of a patient, a family I've taken care of. The dad had, and it's not just breast cancer, actually. It's multiple malignancies, too, with mm-hmm. the BRCA gene. It's, um, so the dad had a few different malignancies, including breast cancer, and his daughter had breast cancer, too. And he's still alive, but she, years later, it recurred. And then, you know, she's actually died. and, and um, it's it's very sad to see, you know, him. I still see him. We still check him. We yeah. took it, she presented much younger. And I, I don't think they totally understood uh, what they were dealing with a little bit. Yeah. And actually that story really speaks to why Invitae does what they do, because we're looking 
to help empower people to know their genetics before they get sick. We don't want a person to get cancer and then realize they had a genetic predisposition. Ideally, um, we would like to see a world, and I'm a huge fan of this, um, where you kind of get all of your genetic information, maybe even at birth, and then you kind of have different uh, information released to you over time, depending on what stage of life you're in, so that you know what you're potentially at risk. Who would release that information? That would be like Big Brother or something? I think it would be genetic counselors. I think there's a a huge market for genetic counselors. Anyone who's interested in genetics should become a genetic counselor. <laughs> Have you seen the movie we talk about? You know, one of the things we love to do is, is interrelate pop culture to all this. Have you seen the movie Gattaca? I have. I it's, think it's a great movie. It's a great movie, but it's science fiction. Right. <laughs> Don't forget that. But, but could, so in Gattaca, you know, everybody's kind of made in a test tube, perfect, genetically engineered. There are these love children. Do you think, or do you ever worry, you know, at night in your deepest, darkest fears that the world could go that way a little bit? I think um, we're so far from that, you know, that so I mean, at this point, anyone who's doing you know, IVF for, um, you know, a specific condition, like is typically doing it because they have some sort of lethal condition in their family, like right. Tay-Sachs disease, right? right? And they want to have embryos that are free of Tay-Sachs disease. We're not looking at eye color or IQ. And, you know, I think people like to think about that, you know, and it's an interesting topic to think about, but I think um, scientifically speaking, it's very hard to do. And ethically, um, hopefully, we we all know better than to go in that direction. And I, I just don't think, like even now, you know, if a patient wants to do IVF for the BRCA gene, a lot of times it has to go through a hospital review board and have a bioethicist involved. Mm. So I have a question. So as a person who's never done any genetic testing, would I just get the carrier test and then that would be like the basis? And then you would talk to me about any like further testing I needed to do Mm -hmm. based on the results? You, we actually, you could do something called the proactive testing, which has a combination of carrier screening, some genes related to cardiac risk, some genes related to cancer risk. It's kind of a nice sort of package for people like you who are healthy, but are interested in learning about potential health issues over time. Yeah. And then we would talk to you about those results after yeah. And she, would she have to do it with her doctor or she could do it on her own? You could initiate an order on your own through Invitae.com or you could do it through your doctor. Uh, you could see a genetic counselor. It's whatever you're comfortable with. So you don't need a doctor to get an Invitae test. Is that what it's called? The Invitae test? Invitae test. Yeah. Proactive test. I mean, it's, um, it's, oh, we have physician oversight. You don't need right. to go to your specific doctor. And does insurance, does insurance pay for it? Insurance will pay uh, many times for genetic testing, but we also have a uh, patient pay price, usually of a few hundred dollars, depending on the test. 
250 is typically our patient pay price. So it's pretty reasonable. Actually, so if, very someone reasonable. Doesn't have insur- if someone doesn't have insurance, it's 250 bucks for the basic yeah. test kind of thing. Yeah. And you're getting a lot of information. And when, when I think about, you know, when I say that's reasonable, I'm coming from a place where when I graduated from grad school, it was a few thousand dollars just to look at one gene. And now right. for a few hundred dollars, you can look at hundreds of genes. So it's really so much more accessible to learn about your DNA. And I think that's so empowering. Yes. But if I got results, I would definitely want to talk to you because I wouldn't be like, if I had what I thought were bad results, I would definitely uh, be scared. Like I would need some calming down. Yeah. I think how do the results come? They come in the mail or on the computer or both or we we have a portal. So Mm -hmm. you would log into your portal. How long does it take to get the results? Typically two weeks. Is it saliva or it's blood or it's both? Either, but if you're going to initiate an order on your own, you're typically going to get a saliva kit sent to your house. Okay. And you send it in, you get it back in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we have, so we have a physician that like, you know, reviews your um, family history just to make sure you're, we're testing you for the right thing. Um, So again, you're not, you know, because you you don't know so what even, you don't know, right? So, so even before even before you send it in, you have to make sure you're sending it in for the right stuff. You have to check off the right boxes. No, our our team takes care of them. Gotcha. And, and then, then on the back end, our team takes care of talking to you about the results. So Lauren logs in, she sees her results, and she's freaking out. How quickly she could she get in touch with a geneticist? Minutes. A genetic counselor. Minutes. We have. Uh, Minutes. There's like someone yeah. always on call as soon as you log in. We have in. people on call. We also have a, a scheduling system where you can talk to someone. And this is all kind of, in, in, it is included in the cost of testing because we think we need to be clinically responsible about how we release this kind of information to patients. Well, and is it a, a phone call or is it a Zoom meeting or a telehealth visit? What is it's it? It's a telehealth visit. You like the way I segued into that? Isn't that yeah, nice? Uh-huh. Yeah. I can I see you're, you're getting good at this podcast yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Is that the new thing that you guys have launched or have you always had We've this? always had it, you know, uh-huh. but what we're launching that's kind of um, newer is um, a chat bot that helps to communicate um, some pre-test education. We call her Gia, the genetic information assistant. And yeah. you can interact uh-huh. with Gia on your phone. Does Gia think- speak too? It's text. It's text. So it, yeah. it doesn't sound like Sa- it doesn't sound like platform. Samuel Jackson. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Did you because you saw that Alexa? Now you could for an extra couple of bucks, you could have Samuel Jackson be your Alexa. Be Alexa. Yeah. yeah. Not know that, but yeah, I just I just heard it or read it the other day. Um, I didn't but know. Not that with either. not with it can't be Shivani Gia. I don't know how many people would want to talk to Shivani Gia. You have a very comforting voice, though. Thank you. Well, You're welcome. Like, very you make... soothing. If you were telling me something, I'd, I'd feel calm. Thanks. I well, I think a lot of genetic counselors are sort of trained to help people feel calm. So right. Right. I'll take that as a compliment. So, you know, we'll send off um, genetic testing. Mm-hmm. And we'll get back, you know, typically we, 
it's easy for, for me. I'm very simple. So if I get the gene, great. I could, I know most of the time what to tell my patients or if the patient's negative, I know most of the time what to tell the patients. But these days as testing and, and your guys as science has expanded, we get these weird things sometimes that come in this variance of undetermined significance or yeah. some weird fakakta gene that we have no idea. What do you, what, why are you telling me that? And plus, what do yeah. we do with that? What, what yeah. is that? And how often do we see those things now? Yeah. Yeah. These are all great questions. So, you know, Thank you were you. talking about your mother-in-law, right? Right. Um, and how your wife was negative. And sometimes what happens is you get a VUS, a variant of uncertain significance. So it's like we see a change in the gene. There's not enough evidence for us to say it's cancer causing, um, but we're going to keep watching it over time. And if there's more evidence that we see over time that it's cancer causing, we'll let you know. More than 90% of the time, those variants end up being benign. Um, but there's a lot of debate in the genetics community about, you know, when do you report a variant? When do you not? So we made the decision for our proactive testing that we were not going to report variants of uncertain significance to our patients um, because of that very reason. It kind of leaves you in this unsettling position. Um, but if you have a very strong family history of a disease, you might want to know if there's a variant. You might want to watch that variant over time. You might want to know if there's a variant for dementia because maybe it's not associated with dementia today, but maybe in five years it will be. And what do you mean by watch? You mean keep an eye on... on research. This, right, the research. Yeah, and, yeah. And so. so do you... Is that something Invitae does too? You, we have a whole team that does it. Yeah, right. we curate literature. And, you know, there are, I don't know if you know this because it blows my mind. There's about 10 new genetic tests coming on the market every day. That was going to be one of my questions for you. Like, yeah. what is coming? Um, yeah. So a lot. And it's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with if you're an expert in genetics. It's a lot to keep up with for us. So I think it's a lot to ask for physicians who are busy in their own specialty to try to keep up with it. So you definitely want to partner with a laboratory where you have experts who can walk you as a clinician through results and walk your patients through results. And, you know, that, that's why I feel like it's so important to utilize a lab where you have access to expertise because this information changes so rapidly. It's such an interesting field. I mean, I love it. I love that it yeah. changes rapidly. I never get bored, but it's a lot. Right. And more and more as a doctor, I'm finding that I'm sending my patients to genetic counselors to, to talk about what these things mean and what to yeah. do. And, um, and it's more about with these VUSs, right? The what is it? Variance of uncertain significance. Of uncertain significance. It's like what's that movie? The uh, in the Princess Bride, the Rusises, the the rodents of uh, unusual size. It's very similar, I think. Um, do you remember that, Lauren, or no? Oh, no, She's really. too young for that. <laughs> Princess Bride. Um, I've seen it. I just don't remember that. Uh, so, but so the question is: is with with those patients, you're basically finding out their lifelong history of what diseases they may come up with, and then going back and seeing, oh, they had that VUS. That 
now we're putting together o- over a big cohort of people, they do get this disease. Is that pretty much what you mean by watching those, those people? Yeah, but just to clarify, most of the time we find with those VUSs that they, we reclassify them to a negative. So, so like when I was in practice, I would tell my patients, like, we're not going to change your medical care based on a BUS. And that's what genetic counselors and physicians typically will tell their patients too. For now, or as of now, how many like real cancer genes that we do something for are there that we test for? About how many are there? About a hundred that we actually will change someone's care, like operate on them or whatever. Yeah. For what Either cancers? Operate the, on them, change their screening, everything so for from breast? Yeah, yeah. melanomas, pancreatic cancer, prostate, breast, colon, gastric, um, endometrial, thyroid. thyroid yes. So, so in theory, like you said, Everybody should get genetic tested at a certain age, maybe, um, you know, once they start being aware of their health, right? Absolutely. I am just like a bit of a, even though I do this uh, show and I talk to doctors all the time, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. So I'm always like, oh gosh, if the results are bad, it's just like, I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about it. But I don't know if you knew that. Not to take care of yourself, obviously. Uh, Lauren, I don't know if you know, I'm also a bit of a hypochondriac. Really? Yeah. We never talked about that. I know, I know. So let me ask you, Lauren, do you get your cholesterol checked? Yes. You do? What if it's bad? What are you going to do? That's true. Good point. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do the things I need to do. Same thing. Right, right. It's it's literally the same thing. Like I say this in the prenatal setting too. Like you're getting an ultrasound. Why are you getting an ultrasound? I mean, besides you want to know if it's a boy or a girl, but you also want to see if there's anything going on that you need to be concerned about. Like, it, it's just a more granular look at some of the things we can't physically see. Okay. Right. But there are definitely people out there who are like, you know, I don't want to know if it's a boy or a girl. If I'm having a baby, even if the baby, God forbid, has Down syndrome, I'm going to have the child. So... Those people probably wouldn't do genetic testing, don't you think? Or who knows? And genetic testing is optional. So right. nobody has to do it. Right. Um, but some people want to know just to be better prepared. I mean, you might want to have a specialist at the time of delivery. You might want to find the right pediatrician. You might want to figure out if there, yeah. there are schools near you that can accommodate children with special needs. So there's a lot of reasons. I think it's just about being prepared, really. And, you know, some of us have that personality where we want to know everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And genetics is part of that. You know, I know someone whose both parents had the Gaucher's gene. Mm -hmm. And so their kid was born with Gaucher's. And she, the kid's amazing and the kid's doing amazing, but certainly it really, A, they had to decide, you know, what life is going to be. And then before the baby was born, they had to find a good gaucher doctor and line everything up. And, and the kid is a normal life and is this awesome kid and doing great. And luckily, you know, it wasn't one of the more severe, um, gauchers, you know, forms of gauchers. 
Yeah, and that's exactly it. Like if you know that there's treatment and you can get started on that early on, it's much better than finding out later. After, you know, a lot of times people say like, oh, I've had these weird symptoms for four years. And it turns out to be something genetic. I mean, why go through that for all those years? So for ovarian cancer, what's the gene for that other than BRCA? Are there other genes? Um, Right now, BRCA is really the predominant gene associated with uh, ovarian. Still, because, you know, one of the concerns with ovarian is that's one of the you know, things that you find too late. And, and I have a lot of, yeah. yeah. And I have a lot of patients always worried, always coming in. How do I know I don't have ovarian cancer? And, and off there's really no great way to tell unless you get lucky often to some degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you another question. So uh, I do my genetic testing and, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm God forbid I'm BRCA positive And I say to myself, yeah, but, you know, there's an 85% risk, but, but what if I change my life and diet and exercise and go herbal or, you know, vegan and this and that? Is that going to make a difference? Yeah, those are all things that are really important for your health anyway. Um, but when it comes to having a hereditary predisposition to cancer, when it's, you know, eight times, 10 times the general population, even if all of those things decrease your risk by half, your risk is still higher than the average person. So it doesn't mean any- you shouldn't yeah. do those things. They definitely right. help. But I think that, you know, part of having that knowledge is also knowing that maybe you need to do a little more than the average person. Has there been research on the BRCA patients who've lived a long time without cancer um, to find out what they may have done or what other genes they may have that have prevented the cancer to come through. That's such an interesting area because you see, sometimes you see a patient who has breast cancer at 32 and you test their mother who's 70 and she's totally healthy. So it's like, what's the difference between they're both positive. One has cancer, one doesn't. Um, one thing about the BRCA gene is, is a term we call penetrance. So, you know, it doesn't have a hundred percent penetrance, which means that if you have the gene, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to get the cancer. So what those other protective factors are, we don't completely understand. They may be certain genes that compensate, maybe a combination of environmental and lifestyle factors. So it can't hurt to exercise and eat well and, you know, do all of those things anyway for your heart health and other reasons, but we're still learning. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. If a woman discovers that she's BRCA positive already, say in her seventies, eighties, nineties, doesn't her risk kind of, it doesn't it go down to some degree? Like if they made it to a certain age and not develop those cancers or is that risk still there? No, no, you're absolutely right. The longer right. you live without developing the condition, um, the less or the risk is 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 less over time. Yeah. I, I I don't hear too much about men prophylactically having their prostate removed. No, they tend to have more um, screening, regular screenings, right. and you know, looking for enlargement and maybe starting those screenings earlier than they normally would. Right. Um, there is, you know, 
now we're looking into medication therapies as well for, you know, there's a whole other kind of area of genetics we haven't talked about, which is tailoring medication to your genetic profile, pharmacogenetics. So, you know, um, the way drugs have been sort of prescribed over time is, oh, you have these symptoms, take this drug. Oh, it's not working, particularly with mental health. This isn't working. Let's try this, right? Um, but there are genetic reasons why some people respond better to certain drugs over others. So that's kind of a fascinating area that, you know, Invitae is also involved with. And um, I think it's just been over the next decade, genetics is just going to become a routine part of care. Do you think we're in our lifetime we'll see people have their genes modified or changed or things like that? There is CRISPR technology. I know. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, I know we just have know. a few minutes left. Yeah, that's I don't a whole know. other topic. Yeah, we might have to that's do part another two. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you want to share with us in these last couple of minutes? Um, yeah, this has been really informative. I imagine your job is just like you're researching all the time, like you're everything. It's, um, it is so fascinating to work in the field of genetics. And, you know, I, I think I have two daughters and I give talks at their schools about career day, you know, like most of the parents who come in usually do something that the kids understand. <laughs> and when I come in, I kind of have to break it down and talk about, you know, we talk about families and diseases and everyone can kind of relate to maybe having something in their family that they're concerned about. So thank you so much for being with us. Our very first genetic counselor. Now I feel like I finally understand genetics and a little bit and why I definitely need to get tested. Um, the importance of it all. Before we leave, any favorite movie or anything you're watching just because we love to talk about this stuff or anything yeah. related like Gattaca kind of thing, any, any other real life things that are interesting? Uh, I am I'm not watching anything genetics related because after work I just need to do <laughs> other things. <laughs> gotcha. My okay. favorite movie, oddly enough, is Crazy Stupid Love. With Steve. That's a great, That's a great movie. I love that I love movie. that movie. And there's some great music. There's some great music in that also. Yeah. yeah. I really like that movie. That's well, a fun movie. You. Thank, thank you. you, guys. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.